0: This week we welcome Dave Klein, Cybersecurity Evangelist at Simulate, to discuss extended security posture management in the leadership and communication section. Six takeaways for CISOs from SolarWinds breach lawsuits, Navy SEALs five leadership principles that will transform entrepreneurs into influential leaders, more powerful people express less gratitude and more. Business Security Weekly starts now. This is Security Weekly,
1: for security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where we explore the business of security to improve the security of business. Your trusted source for actionable insights on leadership, communication, and innovation. Get ready for Business Security Weekly. Monitoring and maintaining compliance is a never-ending struggle with a high price of failure. Firemon helps customers meet complex and varying compliance requirements. Firemon has fully customizable reporting, analytics, assessments and dashboards to meet the compliance needs of any organization. With Firemon, compliance reports take a tenth of the time and real-time continuous compliance eliminates the anxiety and headaches of audit preparation. Improve security outcomes by improving security operations with Firemon. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash Firemon to learn more. It's time to rethink how we approach cybersecurity because the reality is, modern cyber attackers are already past your initial defenses. ExtraHop helps your security team find and eradicate advanced threats before real damage is done. Protect your enterprise and customers with better defense. Learn more about how ExtraHop stops advanced threats at securityweekly.com forward slash ExtraHop. That's extra HOP. Cybercriminals are working overtime. Last year in the fourth quarter alone, phishing attacks disguised as COVID testing information increased by 521%. Barracuda has identified 13 types of email threats and how cybercriminals use them to steal money from your company or personal information from your employees and customers. Find out about the 13 email threat types and how Barracuda can provide complete email protection for your teams, your customers, and your reputation. Get your free ebook at securityweekly.com forward slash Barracuda. That's securityweekly.com forward slash Barracuda. CUDA.
0: welcome to business security weekly this is episode number 261 recorded may 2nd 2022 i am your host matt alderman joining from my lone star studio joining remotely are my co-hosts first mr jason albuquerque welcome jason
2: what's happening matt uh pretty pretty good nfl draft this weekend patriots really didn't pull anything special out but uh man georgia Georgia put out some NFL players, man.
0: Yeah. Uh, it, the, the, it was interesting. The, the three Buckeyes receivers went in a row. I mean, Jameis Williams was at Alabama, but he, they were all teammates at Ohio State, which was a record Like to have three uh, wide receivers all from the same school drafted back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. So, yeah, and Georgia just rocked uh, in this draft. It so it was pretty awesome. Yeah. Also joining from the great state of Texas, Mr. Ben Carr.
3: Hey, Matt. How's it going today?
0: Good. How warm is it in Austin for you? It's going to get toasty up here.
3: It was like 86 yesterday. It's not that warm today. A little overcast, but uh, yeah. Got a little sun yesterday. Went out to a baseball game. Saw UT. Luz, Oklahoma.
0: Oh, well, they're supposed to win that Red River Valley, whatever it's called, right? They were
3: doing really well until they let them have a 10-run inning, and then it all went downhill.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It usually does. (laughs) That'll do it. (laughs) Security Weekly listeners, save $100 on your RSA Conference 22 full conference pass. RSA Conference will be live in San Francisco, June 6th to 9th, 2022. Security Weekly will be there in full force, delivering real-time live coverage and interviewing some of the event's top speakers and sponsors. To register using our discount code, please visit securityweekly.com forward slash RSAC 2022 and use the code 52UCYBER. Hope to see you there. Do you have a specific guest or topic that you want us to cover on one of the shows? Submit your suggestions for guests by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash guests and complete the form. We review those suggestions often and will reach out to you once reviewed. This segment is sponsored by Simulate. To learn more, please visit securityweekly.com forward slash Simulate. Dave Klein is the director of cyber evangelism for Simulate. With more than 21 years of real world cybersecurity experience, he works with Simulate teams, customers, and industry thought leaders to address the challenges of securing modern enterprise environments. Dave's long career includes working on the NIST response to President Obama's Policy Directive 21 on critical infrastructure security and resilience, leading some of the largest sales engagements for US Federal Security Solutions, and working with the City of New York post-9-11. 9-11, helping shore up cyber defenses. Dave, welcome to Business Security Weekly.
4: Matt, great to be here. Jason and Ben, hello too.
0: <laughs> Don't worry. Ben and Jason are going to get plenty of airtime too.
4: So we're going to (laughs) talk.
0: Good. (laughs) Well, when you have two active CISOs sitting in the chair, I mean, of course, they're going to ask questions. It's going to happen. It's going to have to come in. It's going to happen. So we're going to talk extended security posture management. I want to define that term, but I want to I want to tell a little story first and get your thoughts, and then we can get into defining. What, what this this concept of extended security posture management. When I was at RSA security back in 2012, I was responsible for the Archer product line, trying to get it fixed. Long story, not important here. We also had NetWitness, the acquisition that we had done with Amit Yuran and the NetWitness team. And one of the that. things I, yeah, one of the things I took to Art Coviello and I was around 2013, was we had a gap between what Archer could see from a roll-up policy management risk perspective and what the NetWitness team had when it came to threats and things that were going on across the environment. And I pitched this concept that we needed a solution in the middle. And we looked at companies like Red Seal, Skybox, Core Impact back then as a potential way to help visualize vulnerabilities across the network to help prioritize risks. And then like a couple years later, like this whole breach and attack simulation market kind of came to bear. I think I was about two years too early. What do you think, Dave?
4: I would say four years too early. I, I think initially you're correct that the idea of being able to take offensive cybersecurity safely, right? Breach attack simulation to test your environment is truly the best way to find out if you're if you have gaps, if you have misconfigurations. And, and most importantly, really optimize your security controls to be most effective. And I'd argue why I'd say your four years versus two is, is beyond breach attack simulation, there were several other things that had to come into play. And it comes into what you said about prioritization of vulnerabilities, truly you know, taking it and not making it another thing, a dashboard that people look at and get overwhelmed, but truly understand in, in, in a systematic fashion of how to do things and how to fix things and what needs to be done first. I think that's why I would say four years versus two.
0: Yeah, and and what's interesting when I look at the space, I guess aspects of this could have been done by the vulnerability management vendors, right? Parts of it, not all of it, right? But they didn't, and so they it created this like vacuum for these vendors to come into the market. And so I guess my my I, we're still going to define this, Dave. But my my guess, my question is where are the big challenges still? Why, do, why does this market exist? Because obviously somebody's not solving the challenges. And I'm curious, what's still the challenge that the breach and attack simulation vendors do that the vol management vendors can't?
4: So th- this is what it is. And it really comes down to, to, to two major points. One is the threats change daily now. Vulnerabilities, when we started. We had to track maybe ten thousand a year. And now we're up to thirty-three thousand a year. On top of that, you have all the pre-existing vulnerabilities out there that still penetrate and still in people's environments because they haven't fixed. You have enterprise drift—the idea that today, with a playbook, you could push out with a mouse click, you know, tons of changes, a thousand new VPCs, instances, and things of like that—and and you create all sorts of new issues in the environment. So you have all this dynamic change going on in the environment, and you still need to be able to understand offensively where your gaps are in a continuous fashion. Right. And in the past, you mentioned core impact, great tool by the way. All these offensive testing in the past required someone with a PhD and, and tons and tons of experience. So in some ways, unless you're a part of the elite, you still weren't able to use this stuff. And, and, and I think what has really become wonderful about the solution and things like this is now it's able to be run in a continuous fashion. It's accessible, meaning that those who are very bright could use it as well as those who are just starting out. It educates as it goes, right? And, and most importantly, I think it, it's seen the light of day because people need to validate their existing solutions, right, because as cybersecurity has hit, I think it, it's mid, mid, midday sun, it's, it's important for everyone, every industry in the world. And the idea is it's gone beyond just the cybersecurity staff into the business side of the house, into the IT side of the house. So the concept is, I think the reason why this has been so effective is it means something for the business person, the IT person and the cybersecurity person in a way that truly reduces risk, allows business to say, you know, I see cybersecurity is valuable. I see the spend is optimized. I can do this without a heavy lift. Um, I can get things uh, deployed in a quicker fashion. And for the techies, they're, they're like, Hey, I can, I can do this myself. I can educate my staff as I go along and, and be effective.
0: Yeah, we used to talk about continuous monitoring at Tenable. And the the concept was right, but there were a lot of challenges with this concept of being able to continuously look at this. And, and to your point, what's happened is we've had an explosion of all kinds of things over the past t- 10 years or whatever it's been now um, since I started in, with some of these technologies, right? As you think about the number of vulnerabilities, the number of changes, the number of threat vectors, the growing landscape, like everything's changing at the same time. So what what was a challenge to do continuous monitoring back then is only ha- that much harder now. And so I, I want to talk about this concept of extended security posture management because I think I understand it, right? It's It's breach and attack simulation plus some other things that allow you to constantly look at your security posture to identify gaps to help the executive team make decisions about their investments and whether they're working. How close was I?
4: You're very close to it. And the the key is, is that in the fact that it's made for the business, for IT staff and cybersecurity means that more than just being breach attack simulation more than being just continuous, being able to run in a continuous fashion, the output must include three things. For the security personnel, the ability to understand what kind of risk is baselined and what is trend over time. and then Most importantly, the output of these breach attack simulation must be done in a prescriptive fashion to find your first- and third-party security controls that you want to use to protect things or if you need to patch, right? So you need to be able to do that and give this prescriptive information to the IT staff to make the changes and to be able to test again. And then at the same time, you have to show that bit, the value to the business, right? I think you and I have been around a long time. We know we don't talk about buffer overflows or, or uh, uh, also, to other types of, of, of exploits and things of like that, with executives, we say this is the the risk to the business because this is this is the way it is, right? That's what they want to hear. And so, a solution like this brings all this stuff together to help you prioritize and understand your risk and reduce that risk and measure it. But most importantly, it gives back to those three roles, right? The business, the the, the technical uh, IT staff, as well as security.
2: And, and Jason, Dave, you what, what, just just a little bit of disclosure in a previous. In a previous role in a previous life, we, I, I worked with Simulate, and you know we used it for um, testing of existing right infrastructure and in, in software and tools. But one thing that we use Simulate for that was a little bit I'd say outside of the box was we did it for proactive investment, right? So we actually used it to test future tools that we were looking to bring into the organization. So for example we knew we needed a new endpoint detection and response capability. We would bring in five vendors, do a proof of concept, have it all developed in the lab, then use this tool to actually test the capabilities. So what that did was allowed us to have a proactive um, stance and proactive exercise on future investments for my organization. So that way we got the visibility into the effectiveness of those and we didn't invest in something reactively so we used it for future state not just current state
4: and by the way that that's what we find today most people do right they use it they use it first to optimize their existing controls and the next thing you know they're looking at that next that next investment right when they figure out where they still have gaps and they're using it to pick the new software as well you know and, and for me that's so critical and you think about things like edr identity uh least privileges all these things that we're now uh, multi-factor authentication all these things that we're incorporating into our, our business we can use this to show uh, the value and the importance of it whether it's new or existing very good point
2: yeah yeah no i think i think it's good for folks to realize that this just isn't a current state evaluation tool it's actually a strategy to help you for your future state
0: absolutely yeah exactly right it, because the the use cases here Are broad and extensive, right? So, I mean, to Jason's point, not only are you looking at your current technologies, but you can, as you start maturing your security program, start thinking about new things. This technology can be applied to a lot of different use cases. I was actually surprised at first. I was just thinking the common vulnerability management use case overlaid with my network security map because. That's what the old tools did. That's what the Red Seals and Skyboxes and Core Impacts kind of did. They visualized that piece. But you guys have taken this to additional layers and additional use cases where, to Jason's point, you can test future state, um, and which I think is very interesting. I'm curious how many people are actually using it to look at things like zero trust. And I say that in, in a... a, 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 a an interesting way, because when you think about zero trust technologies, right, they have to cover the five core domains of zero trust. They have to cover the the device side, the network side, the application side, the um, uh, user side, and the data side. And so... I would think this would be a great kind of test bed to look at those five different pillars to see how they're working together to potentially identify gaps in your zero-trust architecture. I'm just curious if that's a use case that's come up, Dave. It is,
4: it is. And, and again, beyond just simple security controls, uh, optimization and validation, you're seeing it used for all sorts of scenarios, That's what we call it for. For example, SOC and SIM optimization, making sure that when you you have an attack, that the SOAR activates the right set of, uh, of, of controls and also notifies the right person. In fact, the SIM is bubbling up the correct things and is showing everything, right? The idea of zero trust, uh, the idea of being able to say, you know, we're all working from home. What kind of risk is that that cause that we need to think about and 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 reduce risk for? Third party. Third party is huge, whether it's 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 third party or supply chain. People are using this solution to say, okay. This third-party vendor sits right in our data center. It's not like really well segmented. How do we protect ourselves from that, that risk that they could, could have? And let's try some try different things. You know, uh, and zero trust is another example. Um, you talked about attack-based vulnerability management. That's huge among all our, our customer base. And then even attack surface management. We're finding uh, customers using us to do the reconnaissance work to find out what exchange accounts have been been compromised. What are, you know, the controls on email? What do we need to do in additional? Do we have SPF records? You know, do we have DKIM? How, how we have it set up? DNS, can it be hijacked? Can We add records without being part of the, the trusted domain. All these different kinds of things that we're seeing people use us for, um, phishing campaigns, uh, being able to test their employees to see how they're doing. Uh, and then really bringing us into other uh, various parts of, of, of use cases and stuff like that.
3: Yeah, dave I, yeah. you know when i think about this and i think about you know where i initially saw this and you know uh, as, as jason said in transparency i've used a, a similar technology in a past life to do, to do some of this to use the continuous control validation like it, it always amazed me that this just wasn't sucked in by one of the major vulnerability management players because it seemed like a really you know, common sense extension to what they were doing and to kind of get that validation there and assessment from a scoring perspective. And and you know, as you say attack surface management, that's something I've been thinking about is this really seems like a core functionality to kind of a holistic approach to attack surface. And I'm just wondering why that hasn't come together more. I mean, I I still it feels like we're dealing in a very fractured market still from an attack surface perspective. And I'm just wondering your thoughts on how, you know, functionally this can be that foundational technology for that.
4: So the way that we've taken it, and we, we talked again about, the, you know, whether we're four years out or two years out, and why I feel like that, that, that what we do is not just, you know, a, a breach attack simulation, it, it's the fact that we combine a number of different practical use cases into one easily adoptable uh, in a continuous fashion solution, right? I, I think that the key is, is that if we were just an attack surface management solution, uh, a vulner- you know, attack-based vulnerability management, uh, you know, we would have been acquired by some company very quickly. But the, the point is, we're doing a lot more. We're, we're looking at all the different ways that your security controls try to protect you and look at risk and how we could reduce those risks and optimize our controls and our people and our incident response plans, right? And the fact that we're able to do this and combine it into one solution, I think is really important for the ability of the people to adopt it. Uh, and what we're finding is, is that, uh, yes, we're finding that even when we come up with what we think we are, we also see people say, hey, I'm using this for my evaluations to look at new solutions. I'm using this for ways that I didn't even think about right, and stuff like that. So I think that's, that's kind of what's happening you know, in, in a solution like this. I think also some of the key things that, that make this possible is when you look at the number of attacks that occur these days, we have all sorts of intelligence in the world about new TTPs and indicators of compromise. What is different with a solution like this is it makes it actionable. So by the time you're reading that your your news feed and see that there's a new exploit, new ransomware uh, attack that takes advantage of, of Active Directory within 10 minutes of, of, of land landing, landing, expanding, you're you're getting that actionable intelligence to test right away. So you're not spending time researching and coding and stuff like that. You're just able to test, and I think that's that's also extremely important, right? Um, yeah, you know, the the fact that all this stuff is combined, but that you have the ability for multiple maturity levels, right? You know, in cybersecurity. Not enough people has been a problem for a decade will continue to be a problem. The idea that that someone could pick this up, can see the MITRE ATT&CK framework and see a good explanation of what's going on and what they're doing. So they could run the the day to day tests and that the the real um, elite, the the, the ones who are really good at this kind of stuff can automate a lot of stuff that used to be uh, take a long time and be resource intensive.
2: I mean, to that point, Dave, you know, I look at this not only as a tool for the enterprise, but do you start? Are you starting to see some MSSPs kind of jump on board for some level of some level of? I just I see it as, as added value that maybe an MSSP could take on.
4: So we, we have a few MSSPs who use this, and we also offer an MSP solution for people who would want to run this themselves. Okay. So internally, we offer one for our customers who want to use it, as well as having some MSSPs for them. The beauty of it is it shows optimization of what they're doing. Right, it's able for yep. them to give. To tell the customers, hey, here's how we're doing, Here, we're being effective, and this is what we're doing. So for them, it, it's a way to really prove their value. Uh, mm-hmm. And we're seeing, we're seeing adoption of it. We're absolutely seeing adoption of it. That's great.
0: Yeah. I was going to ask you about the value proposition. You just mentioned one for the MSSPs, like proving their value and how they're helping to protect your environment. Because I could see how having those scores against the technologies that they're providing makes a lot of sense. But if you're doing this on your own, like, where is the value for the how? How do the CISOs position this with the board or with the executive or the different business teams? Like, what are those key value drivers that people should be thinking about for for a product like this?
4: Let's go into that. So, from a from a business perspective, what we see is they're able to say, "I can manage organizational cyber risk at the end. Uh, I can rationalize my security spend." Right. And I can prioritize mitigation based on validated risks. And the biggest thing with that board is what we call immediate threats, is that they're going to ask the question of, hey, our competitor was hit by this ransomware actor or this insider threat or this type of very embarrassing uh, PII leak. Are we vulnerable to that? And what what the, the, the CISO can say is, you know what, we tested against those exact criterion and we found a few things and we fixed it and now we're effectively okay. So the key is, is that, from the business perspective, I'm, I'm good against the latest threats. I'm good when the board asks me questions to say, we've tested, we know for sure, we know for sure. And then from the technical side of the house, you, know, you could say, I, I could do this in a continuous, safe, comprehensive manner. I can bring in the IT staff and the business staff to understand what their roles are and to prescriptively give them the output of what they need to do. Uh, I can optimize everything without having to have a heavy lift, without having to have, uh, you know, something that takes a long time—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's easy. It can be deployed within within hours, right? Uh, and I can exist my—I can use my existing team, right? And I think also the comprehensiveness, right? This is not just a check in the box for validation or having someone come in once in a while to test things. This is done in continuous fashion, and that's why I think the technical people like.
0: Yeah, so it's better than handing them the two hundred and fifty-page vulnerability report yes. from your scanner and go. Here you go, yes. fix this. Yes
4: testify. And that's, that was the problem in the past. The problem in the past is you come, you'd show up with that, that telephone book of woohoo, look at all the stuff we were able to do. See you later. Right. And you were not liked, you were not loved. <laughs> and the key is now you're saying, Hey, of everything we found, here's the top 10 things that, that, that you really need to handle. Here's everything you need to do to fix it. And let's test again. Right. And so the, the concept is you're more of a team member, uh, more of a partner, than someone coming in with, with a telephone book and, and you know, putting it on the table saying you do all this stuff.
0: It, and I would imagine the kind of the next evolution of this is some tie into the source so that you can do some of these remediations in a more automated fashion. I mean, what you describe is is obviously important. Like, here's the steps you need to take, but putting that into a playbook and allowing that to have some level of automation at some points kind of that next nirvana moment, I would imagine for some of these solutions, right? Two hundred
4: percent. I I, th- I think that you know, and again, I, I'm someone that has been around the block and been a lot of different companies. I would say definitely because we currently tie in the sore, but the tie in the sort of day is more around. Validation that the SOAR is working effectively, right? Like if it, if, if it hits a certain part where it errors out versus actually go through and, and launches something, we want to know about that. But the idea of what you're talking about, I, I do think that that is, that is around the bend, is that, that the next thing will be an automated, uh, remediation and, and things like that. Taking the security controls using your SOAR to then click off and say, make a firewall change and stuff like that, or make an EDR change. And, and, and I think that's absolutely down the pike.
0: Jason, Ben, any additional questions for Dave while we have him with us?
2: Good to go on my side.
3: Yeah, same here.
0: Dave, thank you so much for joining us on Business Security Weekly. Had a wonderful time. Love to come back. Absolutely. If you want to learn more about Simulate or how to validate your security investments, please visit securityweekly.com forward slash Simulate. We're gonna take a quick break and then cover the leadership and communications articles for this week. How have business drivers impacted your organizational risk? Simulate Extended Security Posture Management enables CISOs to know what parts of your cybersecurity portfolio to keep, what to get rid of, and what to buy. Know that your cybersecurity investments are optimized and can reduce cybersecurity risk. With Simulate, you don't assume you are secure, you know. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash simulate to learn more. Cyber Risk and Compliance Automation is finally
1: here. Legacy GRC Systems cannot support the powerful, real-time automation and oversight that organizations require to take risks that matter to succeed. CyberSaint continuous control automation ingests data from the GRC stack to update controls against regulatory requirements and risks in real-time, delivering insights and visibility. See how members of the Fortune 500 are saving millions annually by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash CyberSaint. Endpoint security is designed to protect every device in your fleet, wherever it may be. These days, that can be a lot of different places. Find out how HP Wolf Security uses emerging strategies like application isolation, along with a zero-trust approach and framework to give you a powerful, manageable, usable solution to your growing and increasingly spread out security challenges. Learn how HP Wolf Security can make a difference across your endpoints at securityweekly.com
0: forward slash HP Wolf. Welcome back to Business Security Weekly. I am your host, Matt Alderman, joined by Jason Albuquerque and Ben Carr. Don't miss any of your favorite Security Weekly content. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe to subscribe to any of our podcast feeds and have all new episodes downloaded right to your phone. You can also join our mailing list, Discord server, and follow us on social media and our streaming platforms. Join Paul Asadorian and Rich Mogul on May 4th to learn how to choose the right architecture for your application. Live attendees at this webcast will have the chance to win a $100 Hacker Warehouse gift card. Register at securityweekly.com forward slash webcast. And don't forget to check out our library of on-demand webcasts by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash on-demand. All right, gentlemen, time for articles in leadership communication of the week so i started with an sc media article occasionally i pull stuff from our own site we write about a bunch of stuff but the reason i like this one is we actually went out to our CISO community and asked them what the most important topics were and aligned them to our taxonomy and this article kind of summarizes some of those, I don't see any surprises here, but I like it because I know that it came from our CISO membership, so I know that they're pretty yep. valid instead of from a vendor. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, a little bit more quality assurance around that, right? Yeah, I mean, no surprise, right? Threat landscape. I mean, obviously, with with you know Russia Ukraine issues going on, uh, nation state attacks uh, are going to be heightened. But I mean, really, the only the only net new, I guess, conversation. Is is the whole zero trust side of the aisle, right? They're actually having that as part of their, um, you know, their their hot topic. So, yeah, nothing surprising.
3: Yeah, yeah, I mean, you I know, don't see I was going to say the only thing you know, I would I would add on to this list is don't have twenty critical priorities. Um, I, I get it, like you know, <laughs> yeah. it's surveying a bunch of people, and you know, these are the top twenty uh, that that came out of that list. But I see a lot of people making this mistake where. They go into you know a budget cycle or a year for planning and say I'm going to get this laundry list of things done and then they fail miserably because they just had too many priorities on a prioritized list. Like it, it's got to be your top things that you're really trying to hit and make sure you're hitting them. Um, you know, and set yourself up for success. So that that would be yeah, would be and Ben
2: dead on. That's one of the things we're going to be talking about later, right? Complexity is a way to disaster. I mean, exactly. don't yeah. don't overcomplicate because if you're focused on too many things, you have too many balls in the air. You're never going to do any of them well. You're going to be spread too thin.
3: Exactly. Yeah, it, look, and that's a that's a difference you'll see with somebody who's had butts and seat for a while and somebody who's new. Right? Is they'll they'll try to right. go out and like accomplish a ton of stuff to make it look really impressive. When reality success is really impressive, so make make sure you've got the right things on the list.
2: That's it. Yeah, it's all about the quality, right? And you know, yeah, uh, so really many times is. I say I don't I don't want to be a manufacturing firm making widgets. I want to be, you know, I want to be giving quality out there to the organization and customers. Yeah.
0: Yep. So this next article talks about six lessons from the lawsuits, the civil lawsuits from the the Solarwinds breach. And I bring this article in because this this attack Like started naming CISOs. They like started coming after CISOs. Like CISOs are named in these lawsuits, and we talked a little bit about this. I think last week with some of the changes in the legal and litigation side of the house, and and it'll be interesting to see the rest of this case continue to you know uh, give us information as as it continues to go through the courts. But they pulled out six lessons that they think are important for CISOs to think about, so that they're not you know. Pulled into some of these lawsuits in the future. They probably will, anyways. But how, as a CISO, how do you protect yourself? Um, And the first one, you know, talks about personnel need to follow policies and procedures. That's assuming the organization has policies and procedures in place.
2: (laughs) Yeah, right. I mean, it it just shows number one, uh, you know, the necessity to have these policies, procedures, standards, and guidelines in play, but also strengthens the argument of are you testing them are you making sure they're effective are you doing the diligence around them are you making sure that those policies procedures standards and guidelines aren't a book on a shelf collecting dust and that you're actually executing against them.
3: Yeah, this yes. is a this is a train that's been in motion for a little while, right? I mean, we saw this. I think the first one I would call out would be maybe Uber, right? I think that that there was some yep. some, some motion around that, and then Solar Winds with these with this b- lawsuit certainly enhanced that, made it made it clear that this is the the new wave of the future, and then I think the SEC guidance on getting, you know, yep. uh, cyber expertise at the board, you're going to see a new raft of lawsuits. If people don't have that expertise, whether it's the CISO or a board member and, you know, number one takeaway for me is make sure you're on the DNO insurance. Um, make sure that you're, you're covered, right? I mean, everybody should be talking about that. And if you didn't talk about it, when you came in, this is an opportunity for you to have yeah. the discussion, you know, with counsel and at least getting it writing if they're if they're saying you're covered, even if it's not an official something, you know, articulating you're a part of DNO. Um, I think people have to be prepped for this because I think this is going to be more momentum moving forward. Again, these six takeaways, there's not a there's not anything surprising out of this. This is pretty much table stakes, but um, you gotta be doing the basics to be able to focus on some of the more advanced stuff that we all like to play with. I mean. I I call that, you know, chasing the shiny ball syndrome where we, you know, something new comes along, it's really sexy, and interesting, all the security Mm -hmm. guys move in that direction. And we forget that we just need to patch vulnerabilities, make sure we have a good policy, make sure that we're doing documentation. I mean, all all those things are just the table stakes that we need to be doing.
2: Yeah, I I think too, that called out to me that I think we need to focus on and not just hit easy buttons on, they kind of go together, right? One was maintain a register to track and manage risk. And the other one's aligned mission critical task according to risk, right? What's the mantra? You know, if you're not if you're not managing the business to risk, you're going to end up reporting to someone who manages the business to risk. So that uh, they're going to be looking for artifacts around that, right? Where are your risk registers? How are you prioritizing them? And hey, by the way, how are you making sure the most critical risks are being taken care of first and doing it in in the order of priority?
3: If you think back, like it goes back to that, you know, security is not about saying no. I think it's a it is a business decision at the end of the day. Having something on the risk register and having the appropriate amount of insight to it that 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 kind of protects the CISO, right? I mean, yeah, you, yep. you don't have to agree with everything the business makes as a choice, but somebody with the right authority has to sign off on it. They're going to accept that risk and having that risk register, awesome. having the facilitated discussion, keeping all the notes about the discussions that happened and the advice that went into it. I mean, I, I think that's really foundational to making sure that uh, if something does happen, you, you've, you've got that evidence.
2: Yeah, 100%. I mean, it allows you to articulate, you know, why that risk may have been transferred or accepted, right? Or, or not, you know, not resolved in that fashion. I mean, in a risk register, I, I used to have the team put roadmap out there, right? You know, we can accomplish XYZ by quarter one with the ultimate goal of being complete by Q4. And if you can actually show you're on a roadmap to remediation, that's yeah. that's some documentation and, and artifacts you need.
3: Yeah. And why you made that informed decision to push that out yeah. further than maybe, you know, was initially thought it should be fixed. So I mean, right. all, all those things are good evidentiary
0: items. So so you guys hit on the point, but I'm gonna re-emphasize it. Three of the six on the list are all about risk management. And I think to me, that's the biggest takeaway. This has become a risk management discussion, not just a security discussion anymore. And we've said it on this show. If you don't, if you're not managing risk, then you're going to report to the risk manager the CRO or or whatever right the, this is about risk management now because i think the biggest takeaway for me was the highlight of of the risk management issues that are really plaguing security it's not security for the sake of security it's security for the sake of risk and we got to start thinking about the risk management side of this more and that was that's that was kind of my takeaway from this one
2: yes 100%
0: yeah next article talks about CTO and CIO interaction. But I brought this article in because we had the exact same discussions when it comes to the CISO, the CTO, and the CIO. And I thought, well, why not? If, if the CTO and the CIO need to collaborate more, doesn't that mean that the CISO, the CTO, and the CIO also need to collaborate more? Why was the CISO excluded from this, this article?
2: <laughs> you know, that's, that's the first thing I picked out of this. And, and, you know, why is there not a CISO in this, this collaborative approach? But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it, this, this is a scenario that I lived for pretty, pretty close to a decade, right? Being in IT services and, and IT managed services, We had, you know, a CTO who ultimately brings on new partners, brings on new offers, helps develop uh, intellectual property that we're going to sell as an organization, is really doing a lot of that customer-facing offer focus, and then as the CIO and the CISO, having a lot of that internal focus with collaboration to be able to influence some of that external focus. I'll tell you, it, it works out extremely well when you have great relationships between all three of those Executives, it really, really does, because now you're now you're actually straddling both sides, internal, external, building internal um, centers of excellence that will be models for the customer. You know, having those different levels of influence and and goals that you're trying to achieve, and everybody working toward those same goals together, you know, provides a really, really good uh, teamwork exercise to be able to get your inside shored up. As well as your customer-facing, um, uh, you know, products, services, whatever the case may be, uh, solid for your customers because you have the visibility across all of those executive branches.
3: I find it interesting that when you think about a lot of these articles, it's the context of where the article was written from. Right, um, this one comes from CIO Dive, and so I just. For for me, when I look at it, it, it's a blind spot for CIOs, right? They don't they don't see this as, you know, they need to involve the CISO. They they look at it a lot of times very traditionally. Um, I think if you if you looked at an article that was written from a, you know, a, a security bent, you you would certainly see a different perspective from the CISO and seeing that, you know, they're talking about the inclusion and the need to be able to have that conversation across the entire C-suite. And I think certainly the CTO makes a ton of sense. Um it just really does speak to the fact that we continue to see this mindset leaving security out of discussion from CIOs, and I think that's. I think they have to be really careful from that perspective that they're they're not missing the the fact that the relevance is changing.
2: Yeah, 100% agreed. I mean, it's that it's just that traditional silo that's become habit, right? They're not yep. they're not breaking the habit.
0: Talking about habits, I brought this American Banker article in about some of the challenges on the banking side. The last one actually talks about the cybersecurity role not reporting into the CEO. Now, we know that the larger banks have been a little more (laughs) mature about this, but when you get into some of the smaller banks and other ones, this is still a big gap in the discussion, right, is where the security people report in these banking organizations.
2: I'll tell you. So, if There's a if the there's, last if there's line there, the with,
0: with some saying it creates a major governance
3: issue. Like it creates a major governance issue not to have them report to the CEO. Like I, I don't, I don't understand that at all. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, ultimately the power of the CISO is going to come with that position because here's the thing: you're going to have CIOs, CFOs, CTOs who report up to the top levels of leadership the ceo or in our case the cto reported over to the cro right but they you know and then the the cio reported into the ceo but at that top tier of executive leadership if the ciso doesn't have a seat at the table the cio and the cto aren't going to see them as a peer that's right that's 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 troubling right there because they 100% are a peer and I would argue in some instances are positioned to take over some of those roles of CIO and CTO.
0: Yeah, agreed. The, the um, other one that was on here was around tech partners, um, You know, having run third-party vendor management programs mm-hmm. for some of the large banks. It, this, is still a, this is still a big challenge. I wasn't surprised to see this one on here because... I mean, I remember the day at National Citibank trying to manage 70,000 vendors. Like it just, yeah. it's overwhelming. You cannot do the due diligence on 70,000 vendors to figure out, you know, where where the next domino is going to fall in that set. And we've seen this with Target, the target attack and other yeah. breaches where it, it's the third party relationship. So, you know, this is still big. I thought the one around cryptocurrency was interesting because, you know, yeah, I get it the banks are, are getting into crypto, but I'm like it's just one area I would have, I, I personally I would avoid right now just cuz again, I'm I'm not sh- I'm not sure how secure some of these exchanges and in, in environments are, but but the banks are it looks like they're leaping in with two feet to get into the, yeah. to the mean, money side. I mean, I mean at this. the
2: end of the day, they're 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 taking that risk approach as well. They know that they have to invest in some Let's call it R&D type scenario, right, where they're, they know there's going to be some risk around it. I, I don't think they're going to be, um, you know, investing unintelligently. I'll put it that way.
0: <laughs> mm. Absolutely. Uh, this next article is for you, Mr. Albuquerque. Uh, yeah. The Navy SEALs five leadership <laughs> Why principles. Why are you leaving me out? I love this article. Uh, well,
3: like, this I, so- I know you, <laughs>
0: you, you, you both do. But I, I mean, I bring these in primarily because Jason, in his military background, he just loves articles like this. You like, know, you
2: know. It, here's the thing, Matt. Matt realizes at this point because what am I going on year three or or more on <laughs> on the show? I've read every single one of Jocko's books, right. So I've read The Dichotomy of Leadership. I've read Extreme Ownership. I've read Leadership Strategy and Tactics. I have them right behind me. They're sitting in this bookshelf right behind me here. And, you know, I thrive off of some of these articles because, you know, at the end of the day, there's a there's a there's a quote in here, right? That, you know, you can build good leadership. You can build strong leadership. You're not born with it, right? It's something that And the military does an incredible job of of building a lot of these pillars that they talk through, right? Making sure your mission comes first. Making sure you take accountability for every decision. If you're a leader, you own every decision that's making in your department. Like it or not, that's the reality of it. You can't lead every single person across the entirety of an organization. You have to build the ranks. You have to build the succession plan. You have to build future leaders, right? And then discipline. Discipline is huge being a disciplined leader sets you up for success, and it's something that I call bringing your A game to the table every single day. If you're not bringing your A game to the table every single day, you're not gonna have that confidence to be a strong leader. So these are just innately instilled in folks who are in the military that I think add value to every single leader out there. It's something that's lacking in some, some, some leadership courses that you take, and I think if, you, if we could get that instilled in, in some of our leadership courses will be that much better, that much stronger.
3: Yeah, I mean, completely agree. I, I I liked everything about this article, and I think he brings up a lot of points that, while some may say, you know, are relevant to the military, I, I, I'd i say they're relevant no matter what you're doing from a leadership 100%. I mean, this is just... It, Everything resonated well with me, right? Complexity, um, you know, taking yeah. responsibility, not not uh, blaming on somebody else. I mean, it's it's really really important to focus on these items.
2: Yeah, I yeah, mean, I think you
0: know, I was going to say Go the ahead, quote not. you were probably looking for was: "The leader must acknowledge the mistakes and admit failures, take ownership of them, and develop a plan to win." Yeah. Like that's what leaders are supposed to do, right? And if you do that effectively as a leader, you're going to win more than you're going to lose, right? And and I think, you know, that along with with some of these other points around discipline and complexity are are things that leaders have to understand and manage against, right? We were talking yeah. earlier, like 20 20 priorities is too much, right? It's too complex. Like narrow it down, like pick your top 3 to 5, right? Ben, or you know, and then and execute against those for the year. You can't solve 20 things at the same time. It's just not possible.
2: No. Well, you know, and the military sometimes about I, I was gonna yeah, say yeah. the military sometimes gets flack from from you know the the, the businesses and, and uh you know that you know it's government, it's bloated. But here's the thing. Take a, take a step back and think about what the mission of the military is, right? The mission of the military is to bring people together who ultimately are ready to sacrifice their lives for this country to go off and fight wars. And the mission is to be effective. The mission is for us to to be able to react to these situations efficiently. Leadership is a core component to be able to take, God, kids, right? 18 year old kids and get them prepared to go to war effectively and efficiently. If if leadership isn't a core component of that, I don't know what else is. That's probably one of the best things the military brings to the table is their ability to grow leaders and create effective leaders who can take thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people to get them around one mission.
3: And I, I, you know, I think Jason, like when you think about it, like I'm a I'm a huge supporter and, and align with everything you said, right? But if you think about leaders and you think about opportunities and issues where you've seen things go awry or you're like, yeah, this guy does not know what he's doing, right? Whether it's military or it's in civilian life, you can attribute it back to to many of these things, right? Like not having concreteness of mission, not knowing what you're actual uh, aiming at. But yeah, you know, whether it's military or, or commercial, you're 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 gonna recognize the the failures in that, right? I, I think, you know, um the complexity issue was just huge for me. And then there was a quote in here about, you know, human beings can only manage up to 10 people. Like I know that there are instances in my past lives where I've seen a leader who's got like 35 people who are direct reports not functionally working. Like there's just no way, no way you can manage that. That many people right and you have to let go you have to let people run those areas of responsibility that they have you have to trust them and you have to let them fail once in a while because that's the way people learn i mean i i don't know why it's so hard to focus on these items but it, it just really we, yeah. we we need to think about these things when we're trying to put together high performing teams and make sure we're aligning to you know things that will get a success not things that are you know just building up our own uh you know resumes or egos
2: yeah you you know and that's i think you just hit on it because that's where i was about to go ben is i think lesson number one puts it into perspective right ego is not where you want to be you cannot put your ego above the mission and i think so many people let their ego take control where they sit back and they say i can manage 30 people easily i know i can well you can't you can't you're human you know you're not you're not some marvel character you're not a superhero Uh, ultimately you can't so Take the ego aside and do the right thing. Make the mission come first.
0: Yeah. And and I paired this article with the last article because you just hit on a part of it, Jason, around ego. More powerful people express less gratitude. Think about that for a second in, in the conversation we just had. The higher up in the leadership chain you get, you express less gratitude, which creates more angst with your employees under you. And now in the military, I don't see that as a challenge, but in the corporate world, holy cow, right? We're, we're living through this difficult time of remote work, not ha- getting the face time with our employees like we used to. And when you couple that with the more powerful people are, the less gratitude they share, no wonder we have so much a kind of turnover and dissatisfaction in the workforce. And we can't afford... To lose our good people, we can't afford to lose our good teams because we, as leaders, don't feel that we can thank them enough yeah. for the work that they do. Yeah,
2: I, I, I think this article is a combination of a couple of things, right? I mean, yes, it's it's quote unquote power or position. I think I think the other side is coupled with ego, and then the other part is experience. Because here's the thing, for, you know, as a young kid. My, my, my family always taught me to appreciate anyone and everyone around. From you know, making sure you thank the folks who are taking the trash out for you, the cleaners who are coming in. I mean, my, you know, my grandparents and father owned a business and you know, it, it, it's one of those scenarios where you'd have the cleaning crew come in and you'd thank them, right? You just, you show appreciation. And, and you know, my, my grandfather told me at one point in time, those, you know, those are the people you want to make sure you're thanking because when you need them, they're going to be here for us. They're going to be here to help us and serve us. We need to be serving back, right, and putting that back. So I think a level of humility and respect based on experience is an important combination there because you may have leaders who weren't taught those lessons. I was taught that lesson, right? You know, if, if you thank, thank the facilities person who comes in and fixes your light because your light is broken i, I you know it's it you, you gotta have that level of humility you gotta have that level of pushing the ego aside we're all humans we're all here to help each other and you know that 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 person that you thank today that you know you could you could need them and, and and they'll be helping you in the future so so why not
3: yeah this, this pays so many dividends especially when you think about retention for people i mean just really Expressing your gratitude and making sure that you're, you know, letting people know when they're doing a good job, and you're building them up, not not breaking them down. I, you know that truism about, you know, people don't uh, leave jobs; they they leave, you know, uh, leaders, right? Um, if you're a poor leader, you're not going to be able to keep staff, and the retention is going to be bad. So, uh, I think that's yeah. something we really need to focus on is how we how we treat everybody and make them feel part of the team and as well valued and wanted employees.
2: You know what? Try to embed it in your everyday life. You know, it was, it, it, it's kind of funny. Over the weekend, I'm going through the Dunkin' Donuts drive through with my son. And, you know, he orders his frozen hot chocolate. I order my iced coffee, big long wine. Things are getting backed up. And, you know, the, the person at the window forgot to give me one of my items. And at the end of the day, I didn't get upset. I actually thanked them for working so hard. And you could see the look on that person's face of surprise. And then the return was, wow, no, thank you. Right and and just that that thank you for working hard and thank you for for giving me what I ordered. I mean, just embed it in your everyday life. Why not? Why not just be that person who can thank people for their service?
0: Yeah, yeah. In, in coming to Texas, I don't know how much you experience this down in Austin, but up here, I'll tell you, the, the nicest people. Like they're constantly just thanking you. They show gratitude, like being in a culture like that is like kind of exhilarating because you don't yeah. always get that Jason right where people are just like, hey thank you for your service hey thank you for this like it, it goes a long way to create this a nice culture and if you're trying to think about creating a positive culture in your organization, simple thank yous and showing these gratitudes go that. a yep. long way. Yes, and building that culture.
2: Start start there. You know, and if you live in the crazy northeast like I live and people are running a thousand <laughs> miles an hour and not thanking anybody, be you know, be be the opposite of that. Try to influence the culture because that's what I do on the day to day.
3: I try to the, thing. Thing. <laughs> the great thing about it's when you're thinking about your budget, that's free. <laughs> right? Exactly. Doesn't cost you anything.
0: Zero. Right? That's a zero dollar line item. That's a great one. Gentlemen, always a pleasure. Thank you everyone for watching and listening. We'll see you next week on Business Security Weekly.